So here we are, 2018. We're about to finish up college, and Bartolo Colon is still the best pitcher in Major League Baseball. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the best possible thing that could happen, maybe ever? I'm, I don't even care that he didn't throw the perfect game. It was still the best. It was still a perfect game. Do you remember when I was giving you a hard time for drafting him onto your gift team because he wasn't going to play? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shows that I know nothing about baseball analysis. <laughs> Who needs more than one pitch? Yeah. Seriously. If you can throw 90 miles an hour straight and hit your spots, you, you can do anything. Bartolo, still as perfect as ever. Yeah. Uh, I didn't watch this game, but I, my phone was blowing up from you tweeting about it <laughs> from our account, and I was like, oh, he must be doing something, and I was getting alert after alert after alert, and I'm sad that I missed out on this moment, but I'm glad that I followed it through our tweets, but really just your tweets. <laughs> Vicariously living through us tweeting about Bartolo <laughs> Colon's near-perfect game. Yeah, I feel way more tuned in to the baseball world than ever even if it's just through like a twitter account that i half own yeah <laughs> um i think what was amazing about that game and part i mean one of the amazing things about it is that it almost felt like the so you know the the rangers were playing the astros in the astros ballpark but it almost felt like the astros fans were rooting for bartolo too and i'm not gonna lie if bartolo was pitching a perfect game against the A's into the eighth inning, I'd probably be like, screw it, give him this one. (laughs) Like, I just want to see this happen, you know? Like, I want to see Bartolo Colon throw a perfect game before I die. I could die. You could just, like, end it. That's fair. When the Mets were getting, they were getting no hit by that rookie for the Marlins. I forget his name already. But they were getting no hit by him, and I was like, this is embarrassing. We need to get a hit here. Like, I personally take offense when my team is getting no hit or shut out or a perfect game is being thrown against them. Like, I was at that Max Scherzer crazy 18 strikeout, no hitter, should have been a perfect game because of an error at the end of the 2015 season, and I was furious, literally, the entire time. I was just sitting there, just fuming, even though the Mets had already clinched a playoff spot for the first time in, like, a decade, almost. But if it was Bartolo, I think that I could probably deal with it. Because, like, the whole thing is just a, a parody of itself at this point. Like, he is just a caricature on the mound pitching, and... I don't know. I feel like you can't be mad at getting beat by a caricature. Yeah. I don't know. That's 2018's motto. Don't get mad (laughs) about being beat by caricatures. Oh, God. Yeah. I I don't know. It feels like... It almost feels like there's a different reaction that might kick in for me. Like, whoever... All right. If... um, I don't know. If Edinson Volquez is throwing a no-hitter against the A's, maybe I'm kind of like, all right, y'all, what's going on? But I think that's the middle of the road name that you came I, up with. I was like, I, I don't know. Mike Fires is throwing a no hitter <laughs> against you. He's at 120 pitches in the fifth inning. Yeah, maybe that one. I'm like, all right, y'all. Like, we don't need to give him this one. <laughs> but I think there's part of it is just like the spectacle of it. Where if it's a middle of July game that the A's probably aren't going to win anyway. I don't know. I'm kind of into it. Like, I'm not going to root for the pitcher, but I, maybe I won't be so mad that I got to witness that sort of thing. Yeah. 
Also, universally loved Bartolo Colon. Yeah. There's probably some reason somewhere in his past that we shouldn't love him, but for now. <laughs> Whatever, man. Um, yeah, if you're rooting against Bartolo Colon... Weird. I, you're weird. Oh, I'm cutting off contact with you. <laughs> like, I'm blocking you on Twitter, and that's like the final straw. Getting blocked by by us on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get lumped right in with all of those fake bots that follow us on Twitter. We block all them so we can have only hashtag real followers. <laughs> <laughs> Authentic no, engagement. No fake friends, man. Yeah. No new friends either. Yeah, true. Speaking of no new friends, <laughs> our man, Drake, popped up in the baseball world recently, which is rare because he usually reserves his celebrity sports crossovers for the basketball world. Um, namely the Toronto Raptors or the Kentucky Wildcats when he's feeling like being a frontrunner in Kentucky is actually good. But in this case, Jays pitcher Marcus Stroman, the Jays got rained out even though they play in a dome, which is just like, I don't know, what's going on with the weather? But um, I, I guess like part of their ceiling caved in. Yeah, it was like some ice punctured their roof and so there was just water streaming in. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's April, but ice is puncturing the roof and water is streaming in. Glad to know that your dome works. Yeah. All weather facility. Well done. Uh, anyway, so the Jays had the day off and uh, Marcus Stroman decided that he was going to go hang out with Drake. And we'll link to this. It's just a little article wrote, written by Cut4, but there's a picture of uh, Marcus Stroman and I guess some of his friends. Drake and Drake's friends. Yeah. There's just a bunch of dudes standing around in the picture. I only know Marcus Stroman and Jake. But, <laughs> and I only know Marcus Stroman and Drake. But I just assume that there's just a lot of guys hanging around. Managers, agents, that kind of thing. That are just there for these kind of events. I've never really been to one. I would love to just be a fly on the wall. But it's beautiful. And I felt like I needed to bring it up. Because this is a perfect crossover of who I am. And also Drake had plates with his face on them. In this picture. <laughs> That Marcus Stroman tweeted out. So, And really, would you expect anything else from him? I don't... Last week's episode of Atlanta was just a parody of Drake. Have you watched it yet? <laughs> no. It's literally called Champagne Poppy. And um, they just basically make fun of Drake. And the entire time is just a 30-minute roast of Drake. And uh, this was well-timed with our podcast and a baseball overlap with him. So, I don't know. I don't know. There's not that much else to say about that. Except that I love Drake. <laughs> and I love baseball. And Marcus Stroman is easily one of the best follows on baseball Twitter. Oh my god, he's I love Marcus Stroman so much. Now you realize this means all the transition songs for this episode have to be Drake now. Is it my turn to choose the music? It is your turn to choose the music. So you have the authority to do it. I in that case <laughs> in five minutes you're about to hear uh I don't know, Six God. <laughs> oh God's man. plan. I would love to see which rappers specific baseball players like choose to hang out with you know like i'm not sure that there are many baseball players that would choose to hang out with rappers i feel like 75 percent of them would choose to hang out with gospel singers uh yeah probably. christian rock artists <laughs> yeah there you go it's more like the the white christian rock uh that's what nimmo walks up to yeah and it's like really christian rock like it's not remember the band reliant k yep that was like kind of undercover low-key christian rock no this is like God has a plan for us. <laughs> he's like walking up to that and he's like, God gave me the strength to be here. Yeah. And I'm just like, whatever gets you hyped to hit a double. <laughs> you know, one of these days we're going to have to do an entire episode just dedicated to walk off songs because there's just so much that's ripe for content there. I feel like not enough people take it seriously enough or some people take it too seriously. Yeah. I think we talked about it with Fernando, but I think more people should have 
like joking walk-up songs yeah i feel wilmer has probably started kind of like a joke or not even not a joke i don't want to say a joke because that has like a negative connotation but just like a have a little fun with it kind of thing he walks up to the friends walk-up song if you don't know i don't know i'd walk up to something weird yeah Uh, maybe i just hit like random on my spotify like it's just i don't know what it's gonna be each week i'm just gonna hit the random button first song that comes up if it's kelly clarkson it's kelly clarkson i don't know man (laughs) If it's Kelly Clarkson, it's Kelly Clarkson. What if I walked up to like a Rush song? Just like a <laughs> sick drum part that yeah. just comes in and it just gets you super hype. And every time I walked up, I'd just do a little drum part with a bat or whatnot. <laughs> That'd be, i bring two bats up there and i do a little drum part with him. i throw one bat off behind me. Yeah, you got to pull the uh, the Ahmed from Backyard Baseball and go up with the air guitar solo on the bat. Yeah. That'd be fun. That's true. You really could have so much fun with this. And most guys are just like... I'm going to just choose, like, this generic hype song. Or I'm going to choose this Drake song, if you're Michael Conforto. Yeah. Who has only ever walked up to Drake. He's in his, like, third year. Yeah. And he's only ever walked up to different, not even good Drake songs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, seriously, we have to talk more about this, but at a later point. Yes, because we've already talked about Drake for too long. So, it's... Fitting, this next topic that we're about to talk about is fitting because Shohei Otani's actually about to take the mound right now as we're recording. But I want to talk about something that the Angels did, uh, I guess, over the weekend when they were playing the Royals. And they were playing at Kauffman Stadium, I believe. And so there were these three um, Japanese women who were like international exchange students or something who had come to see Shohei Otani play essentially and so they had been trying to like get his attention I guess and they were cheering his name and everything and then part of the way through the game a security guard came over and told them that they were being too loud that they were, I guess, cheering too hard for him. The request had come from the Angels' dugout. That could they please keep it down during his at bats? Because like he was getting distracted, or well, the the funny part is that when Otani was asked about it after the game, he was like, "No, that request didn't come from me." Mike Sosha just made that executive decision to be like, "Every <laughs> fan can't cheer for Shohei Otani too loud. It's going to get in his head." Do you I, expect anything different from Mike Sosha? I I so don't. Sosha, so. Shosha? Sosha? I think it's Sosha. <laughs> There's a lot of S's and C's going on in that name. Yeah. Yeah, this is the guy who, in the preseason, uh, got really upset that there were swear words in one of their, like, hype uh, playlists. Yeah. What do you think Otani thinks about Sosha? Let's go in the head of Shohei Otani, briefly. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what I think about Mike Sosha. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just think of him as a, a dad. Yeah. But... Not the cool kind. No. Like, no. I mean, he's like the guy who wears jeans and New Balances on his days off, you know? I wear jeans and New Balances. <laughs> all right, all right. But not like those New Balances. Like like running <laughs> shoes. Jeans with his running shoes. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's fair. That's funny that you said that because I'm wearing jeans and New Balances <laughs> right now. <laughs> and I don't always wear these New Balances. All right, but... yeah, but Mike Sosha could not pull off the all-white shoe look. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. Should we should we, uh, should we we put a picture of my shoes in the podcast description <laughs> so people have something to reference? We're giving Mike Sosha fashion advice right now. Yeah. What a lame I know. What a, what a loser. <sighs> I know. That's really funny, though. I wonder how three people were making enough noise that it actually bothered Mike Sosha. Yeah, right? That's impressive. 
That's like Nats lady. Did you did you see that like three weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, when the I'm Mets a- are playing the Nats in the extra innings game, and just some lady was standing close enough to the microphone, and she was just screaming uh-huh. during the wind-up to every pitch. She was just screaming at the top of her lungs. Not even anything. She wasn't screaming words. She wasn't screaming cheers. She was just making noise. <laughs> just loud noise. She was just going, ah, <laughs> in the wind-up to every pitch. And I'm like, props to you. Yeah. Like She had a lot of durability going on there. Yeah, I'm not even mad. If you're actually into it and you're cheering, you know you do you really i was kind of mad <laughs> i mean i'd be pretty bad that's interesting though i wonder mike sosha just taking it upon himself to think that this might bother otani during his at-bats as if he's never been cheered for as if they probably weren't freaking out every time he came up to bat when he was in japan yeah right at age 18 and being the best player in the league not to mention you're you're shushing the three people who came here specifically to see this one man play <laughs> and it's like no you guys got to take the fandom down like 20 percent you just tell Angels Stadium to take it. You know how they, um, how the scoreboards always flash like "Get loud." Do yeah. they flash like "Get quiet"? You know, <laughs> like, like shh. Instead of like the hand clapping, it's like the hand, the shushing motion. This might be the one place that football is ahead of baseball because the football. Okay, football stadiums have it down pat pretty well. I feel like when your team is on offense, you know to stay quiet while your team's in the huddle so they can hear each other. Yeah. And then when the other team has the ball, you're just you just go ape shit. Yeah, you're the whole screaming. Time. Uh this might be the one place in all of our conversations about baseball and football that we have on this <laughs> podcast that football might have figured it out and baseball needs to work on that. Yeah. Although I don't if I was Otani, I don't think I would want to hit in perfect silence. I feel like the noise probably messes with the pitcher most. Uh yeah. Yeah, and that, I feel like in that point six seconds of reaction time that you have, are you really thinking I can't hear? Yeah, <laughs> the ball's coming, and you're like the the girl who's talking about me behind me has to shut up. Like, I don't know. Yeah, you think about other sports, and what's the scenario that that would actually affect you? Like, if, if it was your mom, <laughs> she's just yelling, "Alex, like, <laughs> honey, pull your pants up." <laughs> yeah, I your flies like, down. Yeah, that might bother me. I but guess that's about it. I feel like you hear about a lot of major leaguers who talk about just being able to totally block everything out. Yeah. I feel like it would be more in my head if there was complete silence. That's one thing on the long list of reasons that I couldn't be a major league baseball player. Yeah. Very bad at blocking things out. Yeah. If I can hear music with words, I can't, like, read. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I can't read something, like, on my phone. I get distracted. Yeah. Or if, like, the TV's on and I want to be reading something at the same time, I have to mute it. The only sound that I can hear while I'm trying to, like, function cognitively (laughs) it's like jazz (laughs) listen to the same three jazz albums writing every paper that i wrote in college that's probably up there on the reasons i can't be an mlb player yeah definitely that's like top three i mean i have the size speed athleticism (laughs) i have the raw talent for sure everyone's looking for a just under six foot white kid who throws 78 (laughs) with a partially torn ucl baseball really is like one of those is one of the only sports i think where the fans have very little impact. Like, the fans really can't do anything to fade. Like, it, you wouldn't can... know it sitting in the stands. <laughs> that they have no impact. Because they certainly feel that way. Oh, yeah. I had a dude at... Like, I was at the Mets game on Saturday. And uh, I had a dude who was just literally just screaming advice to Mickey Callaway the whole game. And I'm like... And it was bad advice, too. Oh. It was like... Oh, it's never good advice. Who was even pitching on Saturday? Oh, it was Harvey. <laughs> it was Harvey. And he was like... He was yelling for him to let him keep going. Don't go to the bullpen so early. That's my favorite piece of advice that fans give to the manager. 
don't put the bullpen in so early. Let yeah. him keep going. Yeah, like why? Just what is your justification for this? <laughs> they just is it because you don't want to hurt see, his feelings? We like, want to see I... the same pitcher. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even make sense. He hasn't been good, but just let him keep going. Maybe he'll get better. That actually is how baseball works. You get better as the game goes on. Well, if you're Justin Verlander, I guess you do. Justin Verlander, best pitcher in the league. Yeah. Uh, except for Bartolo, who, again, not to bring it back to Bartolo, but Bartolo Colon outdueled Justin Verlander in 2018. Justin Verlander, it's going to be like 2042. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to have even worse back pain than I do now when I wake up. I'm going to go see the slate of baseball games. I'm going to see that Justin Verlander is starting a game for, I don't even know, some expansion team who needed a pitcher, and they just signed him off the fucking trash heap, and uh, he's going to go like seven and (laughs) two-thirds, 11 Ks on 109 pitches, and he's going to be pumping 97 in the eighth inning. Yep. And they're going to pull him for a lefty-on-lefty situation. That's the only reason. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be like his... If you took... 100 years from now when Justin Verlander dies, I'm saying 100 years because I never want Justin Verlander to die because I want to see how long his arm will stay on his body. Lives to be 135 years old. And is still pitching. 100 years when Justin Verlander dies, I really want to see the autopsy. Hopefully I'm not alive still then. But I really want to see the autopsy of him or I want them to do some kind of donate his body to like sports science. And I really want to see what his arm is made of because it's not what normal humans arms are made of it's, it's not literally li- probably it's not just... ligaments and tendons nope. and muscle <laughs> it's just like it's rubber it it's is like slingshots it is all rubber <laughs> it's unbelievable unbelievable his arm does the same motion every time and it's just nothing changes he never gets tired nope and he throws with so much arm justin verlander is just pure he's pure baseball you're, yeah. gonna, you're just going to open it up and find like leather in there <laughs> it's going to be like leather and stitched seams <laughs> honestly <laughs> You'd be like, this is curious. Yeah, this is weird. Let's see if we can replicate this. Uh, I love him. I know, me too. You know who else I love? Who? Francisco Lindor. Yeah. Not that long ago, maybe like an hour ago from when we're recording this. Uh, it's a Tuesday night. And so they're playing their game. The fir- I believe it's the first annual game that they're playing in Puerto Rico. And uh, Lindor, of course, hits a home run in his home country. And the crowd goes absolutely wild. Yeah. Incredible moment. The pan to the mom in the stand, to his mom in the stands, who's like in tears. Yeah. So wholesome. Baseball is so wholesome and good. Although if you ask Clint Hurdle, who we're going to talk about later, he'd probably get mad that Lindor is smiling as he's running around the bases. Oh, yeah. Or Mark DeRosa. No, not allowed to do that. Yeah. We'll get to that later. But for now. (laughs) For now, let's appreciate this. And then we can talk about how uh, no one else does. Yeah. Uh, Francisco Lindor, real good for baseball. Like he's... He might be my favorite player in the game right now. Like, like looking at it neutrally, like fan personal fandom aside, he's probably my favorite player in baseball at the moment. Although Shohei Otani is getting up there. Uh, yeah, he's wasting no time. Yeah, he has to do it for a little longer first. But did you see that interview? It wasn't even it wasn't even a Lindor interview. It was like the pregame for the whatever the Indians local TV is, and the guy was giving like the pregame rundown. Yeah, and. Lindor just walks in front of the camera. Yeah. Like, this guy's trying to do his job, and Lindor yeah. just walks in front of the camera, and no one gets mad. Yeah. Oh, and starts hugging the reporter. <laughs> he literally just tackles the reporter and starts puts him in a bear hug and starts running with him, pulling him away from the camera. The cameraman just pans. They're not doing anything. They don't reshoot it. I see the video like on my Twitter, and everyone's like, this is great. We love this. We love when Lindor does this funny stuff. I... 
I, again, still mad that you took him for the all gift team <laughs> because he's a gift machine. Yeah. Every, literally, every, like I said, everything he does is giftable. I wrote that in, in, in my like little blurb about him. I wrote that you could put his entire career on a, as a gift, but that would just be a video and it would be a little <laughs> Truman Show-ish. <laughs> be kind of creepy to just watch every second of Lindor's career. We just have one camera on him at all times. But I feel like if we need to talk to, you know what we should do? We should try to see if we can email with like a TV producer, you know, like a baseball TV producer and see how they think about what camera is on who. The producer of an Indians game, do they just leave a camera on Lindor at all times in hopes that he will do something really fun? I mean, yeah. Or do they just like pan to him at all big moments? Or like, that'd be a really interesting conversation to have, I think. That is interesting. We should have that conversation, but first we should speculate about what the answer is right now. Yeah. And we should just be completely uninformed. (laughs) I mean, I think they do probably, they have a crap ton of cameras and they probably keep them on a lot of the, you know, because when you see highlights after, like, uh, after a play happens, I'm always like, how did the cameraman know that, you know, (laughs) Uh, Tyler Naquin would be smiling at this exact moment <laughs> in the middle of the sixth inning with nothing happening. Yeah. How did the cameraman think to pan towards the catcher as he's walking back to the dugout and he winks at the opposing manager yeah. or something like that? Yeah, you get all the weirdest things. But it would be interesting to kind of know the mechanics behind that. I think so, too. So if you're listening to this, please don't steal this idea because we're going to do it <laughs> down the road. All right. We should... Uh, we should wrap this up and get to a little bit more of the serious stuff. Yeah. So when we come back, a week's worth of toxic masculinity. You know how I like it when you love it on me. I don't want to die for them to miss me. Yes, I see the things that they wishing on me. Hope I got some brothers that outlive me. They gon' tell the story shit was different with me. God's plan. God's plan. So you mentioned to me before we started recording that it kind of feels like a lot has happened since we recorded last, and that's in part due to the fact that we did a whole off-season of baseball podcasts and no baseball is going on. Uh, But now that real baseball is back, what comes along with it are some pretty awful and terrible things. Oh man, baseball is back, and which means that so are old men being mad about something. So three things happened in the last week that were by all means unacceptable and terrible. And coming into this recording, I felt like that was a lot. Like I felt like we had a barrage of terrible things to talk about. But the more that I think about it, the more that this is just run of the mill for the baseball world. Yeah. And you can't really take any of these as isolated incidents because they all paint a larger picture about things that are wrong with the sport right now. We we basically had uh, Clint Hurdle getting upset at a couple Latin American players on the Cubs. Uh, we had uh, some Little League dads being uh, little shits, <laughs> and then that's we, one way of putting it. And then we had a former le- former Major League Baseball player just uh, trotting out the old uh, "act like you've been there." Uh, smart ass, you know, uh, these youngins aren't playing the game the right way uh, line. So a little more specifically, uh, the first thing, Clint Hurdle, manager of the Pirates, longtime baseball grump and play the game the right way enforcer, dating back to his days as like the manager of the Rockies too, right? He, they were playing a series against the Cubs and Javi Baez had had a really good series and he, I guess, bat flipped on a couple home runs and 
got mad at himself when he popped out and was yelling as he was running around the bases or something like that. Um, and Hurdle said to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette afterwards, sort of like unprompted, no one really cared about this in the moment. He said, quote, you watched their kid flip that bat last night? First of all, we're already off to a bad start by Clint Hurdle, referring to him kind of pejoratively in a negative sense as a kid. Then he said, where's the respect for the game? The guy hits four homers in two days, so that means you can take your bat and throw it 15, 20 feet in the air when you pop when you pop up like you should have hit your fifth home run. I would bet that men over there talked to him, because I do believe they have a group over there that speaks truth to power. <laughs> wow. we need, I need a second to digest that quote. Truth to power. He calls him a kid and says, I believe they have men over there in that dugout who are going to talk to him. What does he think, like, John Lester, the white hero, is going to come and speak some sense into him? This is ridiculous. And I think what I think what prompted this is Hurdle was talking about, like, how good the Pirates, like, team chemistry is and how they, like, self-police each other in the clubhouse. And it's like, you know, when someone does something that's, like, out of line, like, you know, you just need to go and, and tell him that he did this thing and you don't need to tell him again. And so... And then he's like, you know, but this Javi Baez kid, oh, what is he doing over here? And I guess that there was a uh, there was a Pirates player who said, that's just the Cubs being the Cubs. It could be a little less sometimes, maybe. What does that even mean? It could be a little less sometimes. Oh, it could be less. <laughs> so I guess, and Javi responded to this and said, okay, maybe I, uh, he, he basically, I think he kind of, acknowledged that maybe he shouldn't have thrown the bat so much but basically was just kind of like you know I'm playing my game right I play the game the way I want to play and I don't really pay attention to what anyone else said I'm obviously paraphrasing here Um, but he was like you know maybe I shouldn't have flipped the bat so much and uh, and I I looked a little ugly on that fly ball but he (laughs) he basically told Clint Hurdle to F off yeah he said I bust my ass every day to play hard Uh, I don't think anyone plays this game harder than me I respect the game, I respect whatever, but you don't go out there and talk trash about someone. I have a lot of things I could say right now, but I don't control what's out there, what people talk about me. Um, and he's right. Like he does, he does play the game hard, and he obviously does have a lot of respect for the game, and he plays it with a lot of fun. You know what I mean? And other players, I feel like, any racial animosity aside, I feel like other players really respect that. You know, he's tagging out Yasiel Puig in the pivotal moment of a playoff series, and they're smiling about it and joking about it. Like, he is waving his finger in Yasiel Puig's face. Like, that happened in the playoffs. And so, to me, that indicates that, like, other players see his fire and verve as him caring a lot about the game. And this just goes back to all those age-old arguments about how the baseball, like, baseball needs less Yasiel Puig's. Yeah, this idea that you're not supposed to show emotion either way. If you make an out... You're supposed to pretend that you're happy about that. And if you do something good, you should probably look a little more sad. <laughs> um, it's really dumb. And, and, you know, it doesn't end there because Clint Hurdle decides to double down and is like and moves on to a Cubs catcher, Wilson Contreras, who I guess had a, a, a called strike three against him and was a little peeved about the call and gestured to the umpire um, where the strike zone was. And so Clint <laughs> Classic. Classic move. <laughs> Especially if you're the catcher. Yeah, I love it. Um, and Clint Hurdle is like, you know, back in my day, uh, you know, there, there's a day he would have been thrown out as soon as he gestured that the ball was high. 
those are things you try and help your young players with as they go through it. That's not respect for the game. That's not the way we do things here. Where like, is here? Like, says who? Who? According to you? Oh, you make the rules for all of baseball. But also who? But also who thinks that's good? Who thinks throwing players out for saying one thing to the umpire is the right move? Right. Exactly. What like what sort of like what do you weirdly unnecessary that? punitive justice is that, and why do we need it? What why do we not want to see our best players after they've made their point to the umpire? They're not children. Yeah, they're, we're not like genuflecting genuflecting to the umpires here. They're not good, so yeah. we should tell them that they're bad when they're bad, and therefore maybe they can do their job better. I mean, Contreras is the catcher for the Cubs. He knows where the strike zone is, and he knows that he might be hurting his own pitchers by you know mouthing off to the umpire and that's a risk he's willing to take and if clint hurdle is the manager of the opposing team maybe he should just accept that risk because it might help his team in the long run (laughs) i don't understand like what are we mad about yeah this whole tone policing thing that is going on just throughout baseball perpetually is ridiculous hurdle ended with there's entitlement all over the world sometimes when you have a skill you can feel special and you don't get what it looks like. Oh. Most of the time here, we try and show our players what it looks at, and that's usually enough. There's entitlement all over the world. Okay, I feel like the the story that more aligns closely, since it's MLB and since it's sort of like a an emotions policing kind of thing, is the Mark DeRosa, Brandon Nimmo story, which you also mentioned. Yeah. Um, so basically what it was, and you know a little better than I, but what it was was that Nimmo had hit a home run, and he was running around the bases, and he was smiling while he was running around the bases. Yeah, get that. Just pause. Let that hang with you for a second. He hit a home run and was smiling as he rounded the bases. Okay, And not even like, you know, it wasn't even like he was grinning or smirking at the pitcher. He was yeah, just he smiling because he was happy, and then he smiled taunting. at his teammates Yeah, when he got back into the dugout. And um, that's it. That's the whole thing right there. And yeah. Mark DeRosa decided to go on a big-ass rant on national television afterwards about how that's not the way you play i guess yeah and i guess nimmo i didn't i kind of skimmed his comments i saw it on twitter that nimmo had said something about the mets you know being able to make it to the world series or whatever and so mark DeRosa comes out and is like you know man it's it's game i watched a bit of this game and this brandon nimmo kid and uh and uh you know you're talking about the world series it's game 14 okay maybe you take it down a little notch maybe take it down a little notch uh and then and then he goes on and is like and uh and I saw him, he hit a home run, and he's smiling around the bases. And, you know, <laughs> it's a very similar back-in-my-day argument where he's like, we're men. We're men competing. You don't show emotions. You act like you've been there before. Maybe he's, <laughs> he literally says verbatim, wipe that smile off your face. What? Yeah, why? Who cares? Everyone likes Nimmo for that. MLB, on one hand, their social media is like, look at Brandon Nimmo's smile. And on the other hand, they have people going on TV talking about their sport being like, wipe that smile off your face. This is arguably worse than the hurdle thing because it's not even like you have a vested interest in this game. It's not like you're a fan who was offended at Brandon Nimmo. Like, you don't care who wins or loses. But for some reason, Brandon Nimmo smiling is the thing that pisses you off the most. And you have to justify it by being like, well, you can't smile because you're a guy. You're, you're a guy playing a sport, yeah. and you're not supposed to enjoy that. The World Series comments, DeRosa's comments about Brandon Nimmo's World Series, he hopes the Mets can make it to the World Series or something like that. DeRosa's comments about that are even more puzzling. Like, So on its face, the whole don't smile as you run around the bases thing, while I disagree with it, it's an argument we've heard before, we've seen before. 
D- don't talk about wanting to make it to the World Series because it's game 14. So on one hand, you're supposed to be this crazy competitive, hyper-masculine player, and all you're supposed to be focused on is winning the championship, doing it for the team, sacrificing for the team. And that's literally all he was saying was that he doesn't mind being optioned down to AAA, um, even though he had a really good start to the year. He doesn't mind being optioned down to AAA if it means you know, that this really talented team, the best team he's ever been on, he said that. Um, if that means that they have a better shot of making it to the World Series. So I don't understand I don't understand what rule of toxic masculine baseball culture he broke by saying that. Is it just that don't don't get ahead of yourself? Did he just not say we're t- did he not add the addendum we're taking it one game at a time to the end of it and that's really why you're mad on national TV? Is that why you're mad online? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like is that actually it? I just don't understand that. I don't either. Yeah, and those they threads, are too. Yeah. They seem they seem loosely connected at all, like if at all. That the fact that you're, it's almost like he realized halfway through his criticism that it was stupid, and he was like, and while I'm at it, yeah. he smiles, and I fucking hate that. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, it it does feel like they're going in opposite directions because you're like, hey man, stop taking the long view on this thing. Take it one get, game at a time. Live in the moment a little more, huh? But also, don't <laughs> but live also, in the moment with a smile on your face. Yeah, but also, why are you enjoying this moment right now? There's a there's a bigger thing going on. And so, you know, these two stories kind of provide context. They provide a, a bit of a bookend for another story, which is actually a lot more serious. And that is the New Hampshire Little League story, which we mentioned. Um, the gist of it, I mean, I read the Deadspin article of it. I don't know how much has come out since then or, you know, whether a lot will even come out of this because it's a, it's a youth league and it's often hard to report on those kind of things. But essentially what it was, was that uh, the father of an 11-year-old girl who plays in the Oyster River Youth Association Little League filed a complaint with the Little League about how her coaches were encouraging the... She's the only girl that plays in the league, and her coaches were encouraging the other boys on the team to basically play beanball with her in practice to try to hit her in the head while they're pitching or while she's in the field to discourage her from playing baseball and to send her over to the softball league like the rest of the girls who she played t-ball with in the baseball league the rest of the girls have already transitioned over to softball and she stayed in baseball but yeah so that's the gist of it is that she's the only girl left playing baseball for this league and i guess that this coach didn't like that yeah there were two coaches who conspired yeah i'm trying to find names and stuff it's hard to sort of keep the names straight in this because i don't know any of them um and this story kind of came out of nowhere i just sort of saw it pop up on my twitter timeline but names aside and whatnot this speaks to i think a larger issue that infects baseball from the top down and i think what we talked about with mlb really is the reason that a coach might feel confident enough to do something this stupid at the 11 year old age of a little league is to say we don't want a girl playing the game. Like, for what reason? This is this was a very weird and obscene and just flagrantly awful thing to do. And to an 11-year-old girl. Yeah, the fact... I mean, the fact that she stuck around after every other girl left the league is a testament uh, to, the, to her own resiliency and is somewhat inspiring. The fact that she is willing to, to hang with the boys on this one. And there are two men who just think that that's absolutely unacceptable. And again, like we, this is, 
not a new thing that we've talked about in terms of this idea of masculinity around baseball. And we've talked about it with regards to how certain players treat their significant others and that sort of thing. But it's, I don't know, man. It Like, I almost don't even have a nuanced take on this because this is just an awful thing. Like, this is just yeah. a terrible thing to do. And it shows that men are bad. Yeah, it's too easy to pan this. But I do think at the end of the article, at the end of the Deadspin article, it says the Little League chair Ben Jeans said his organization was beginning a formal investigation into the incident as per our policies and procedures and will provide a summary follow-up to all our stakeholders. Did Mark Zuckerberg write that statement? (laughs) Seriously, like there is no humanity in that statement. And it's just like, it seems like the dude just basically groaned before putting out that statement. He was like, I can't believe we have to look into our policies and procedures. The fact that this 11-year-old girl is just trying to play baseball in our little league and... I have to deal with it now. I don't understand. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I just don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pure cowardice, you know, like the fact that these two coaches almost feel threatened, you know, by the fact that a girl is invading the space of the boys is, it says a lot about, <laughs> it's really funny because this is now, you know, the third story that we're talking about on this podcast about men who are very offended and, you know, <laughs> like kind of snowflakes on this one. <laughs> like, I'm just going to come out and say it. Like, <laughs> I can't believe you just threw out the word snowflakes. Like in, in all seriousness though, right? Like, yeah, you this feel, is what you that feel, stupid word was invented for. Yes, yes, exactly. You feel very offended that these people are showing emotion, are being too happy, aren't being masculine enough. You know, like you just have, you're playing with a bunch of sissies and you don't want that sort of thing. You want the people, the the men who will be strong and, and keep their head down and show no emotion. And it's like, does anyone, did anyone ask for this at all? I mean, I understand that it's ingrained in the culture that we have just cultivated here, but I don't know, man, it's, it's messed up. Are you someone that believes that to overcome this kind of thinking that it needs to come from the top down or are you more of a person who thinks who thinks that the younger generation places like this little league um it needs to be corrected in places like that and by the time these players grow up by the time they become fans like us adult fans like us um they just kind of agree that this is a stupid way of thinking because we're in the minority no matter you know no matter how many people we surround ourselves with on Twitter, who follow our podcast, who listen to us, who agree with these takes that we have, we feel like it's ubiquitous, but you go to a game and it's not. And so are you someone that believes that MLB has to be like, no, 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 like we need to get a good commissioner. We need to get good people in leadership. We need to get managers who are more touchy feely, like the James Wagner piece. Are you someone that believes that it starts there? Or do you think that it starts in little leagues around the world? I mean, I'm not opposed to a commissioner who wants to make the sport more inclusive, right? Like that's not a bad thing, but I don't think that that's going to change the culture, right? It is going to start on the little league level because there's such a, uh, yeah, not to cut you off, but there's such a disconnect between major league baseball and little league. And while, you know, while it influences little league to some extent, I feel like so many places are so secluded in, in the way they've always played the game at this specific little league or at this specific high school, or this coach who's been there for 25 years is going to keep it the same way no matter if Yasiel Puig is bat flipping for the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, Little League is that pipeline into the major leagues and everything that's adjacent to it, right? Um, jobs around the game. And so if you allow whoever to actually play the sport, then you're going, to, it is going to open up this pipeline to jobs in the commissioner's office or, or where, wherever, you know? Um, I, I saw a story the other day that just talked about, I mean, it's not like this is a new concept, but t- that talked about the reason that you don't see many black players in the MLB is because uh, young black boys can't play Little League. They don't play Little League because it's expensive, right? And so there are these structural obstacles that you need to remove at the lowest level to actually open up the floodgates. Otherwise, Rob Manfred being like, well, we'd love to have more diversity in the game, so I'm going to hire like a, you know, a... (laughs) a black assistant or something like that. Like yeah. that doesn't, that doesn't do anything to actually change anything institutionally. It's, it's representational politics, but you're actually not changing the way anyone thinks about it because Dan from uh, West Virginia is still going to be like, well, yeah, but there are still no girls allowed on my team. Right. You still don't get X, Y, and Z and nothing changes. Yeah. Did you ever experience this growing up? Like, did you ever play against a team that had a girl on it? Oh, I have, or did I, you have I, girls on your team? Yeah, I had girls on my team. I don't think that I ever played against a team with a girl on it. Maybe once or twice. Really? Yeah. I did in basketball, and my coach said to the guy who was covering her, if she scores on you, you're sitting for the rest of the season. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, wow. That's, first of all, that's just impractical. Yeah. What if she just catches a rebound and just puts it back in? I was like, <laughs> thinking on a practical level, I was like, he's fucked. <laughs> but um, thinking about it, from a sociocultural perspective now, that's crazy. But yeah, I think MLB would... You know, we talk about this a lot. We talk about how MLB does not serve itself in the long run very often and, and doesn't do a very good job of that in terms of not pivoting towards trying to make players more interesting to a larger audience. Um, they just kind of shoehorn them into being part of a team, part of a part of a market, not part of not part of a larger interest. But I think MLB would serve itself really well to make a legitimate effort towards being the driving force behind diversity and inclusion policies at the little league level you know i don't know how much power they really have like i don't know if the mlb can really go into every small community i'm sure they do on on some level and i'm sure if you look on mlb's website which we could have done before this conversation (laughs) but i'm sure they have some kind of like local youth chapters that help diversity in little leagues and stuff like that but i don't know how early on is the right time to really start teaching players about why these are bad concepts that you shouldn't carry with you through as you continue to play baseball why i just think there's that we do a bad job of educating athletes about these things about like you know the masculinity of it about how there's barriers for people of color to get into the game i don't think that i ever really got educated about that i think that i chose to kind of learn about that on my own like after the fact and i think that most communities could just go on without ever without their players ever really caring about this kind of thing yeah uh the mlb has their play ball initiative which is the one that's aimed at supporting like you know the quote-unquote inner city kids um and under-resourced programs and you know, like you said, we could have looked into a little bit more specifically about the work that they're doing, and I'm sure they're providing some support on a local level. But it really is 
more than just like throwing money at the problem, right? And being like, well, the the answer is that we just need to fund this little league uh, a little more, right? Um, it's a it is a larger institutional problem that travel ball costs a lot of money, and so you're gonna cut certain people out of the picture. Um, I wonder like how you even fix that though. You get rid of travel ball. Yeah. But don't you think travel ball provides legitimate opportunities for players to get better? Like, I look back fondly on my travel ball days. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's almost like we're we're almost uh, kind of veering off from the conversation here, but it almost reminds you of, like, charter schools in yeah. a certain respect, right? Like, I think what, we should like, veer off, your... though, because I, I think baseball is embedded in American culture in a way that a lot of other sports aren't. Yeah. I say it reminds me of charter schools because it's like it's this alternative thing that you can pour a lot of money into. But what you're doing is you're just diverting the attention and resources needed for these the quote unquote public schools, right? Like the little league that anyone can play in. And so, yeah, maybe it provides a better education. Maybe you maybe the best coaches go because they actually get paid more money or something like that, right? Like there's an actual structure here. But at its core, it's going to exclude some people because not everyone can get into that sort of thing, right? Like there's a there's a cap on who can play and you have to be this good to do it. And at the end of the day, that's not the point of this. Like I I understand that you want to cultivate people um, a generation of kids who are good enough to play so you can get the next Noah Syndergaard and so that you can get the next Bryce Harper. And that's all good and fun. But this is a game for kids. Yeah, and, it's re- and it's really, really dumb that, it, <laughs> that the interests of adults ruin that whole thing, right? And there's, and there's a bottom line that's made of it. And I know that like that's kind of a different point than we were um, talking about, but... In a way, it's not, though, because the interest of the adults here is that I, I haven't talked to these two coaches, but my guess would be that they don't think girls are as good at boys as they don't think girls are as good as boys at baseball. Yeah. And they think that by having girls on their team, they're worse off for it. They think that they could replace that girl with your run of the mill 11 year old boy and they would be better off for it. Whether that's the very arbitrary, our team culture would be better because of it. Cause we don't have to tiptoe around the fact that we have a girl on the field all the time or whether it's the very, you know, in their mind, practical, boys hit the ball better boys run faster boys are stronger boys throw harder and um first of all 11 years old that's bullshit (laughs) (laughs) i know a lot of boys at 11 who were trash at baseball and a lot of girls on the softball teams that played on the field right next to us that would have kicked our asses yeah um but i i agree that it should be a lot more accessible for kids to play youth sports to play competitive youth sports too um like i don't think travel teams should exclude kids because they can't afford to travel with the team but i don't know if i have to think about it more but i don't know if personally i would want to just get rid of all travel teams because i feel like that fosters like a certain level of seriousness about the game for the kids who who want to compete um that in-house which is what we called it which is just your run-of-the-mill like intramural kind of baseball i didn't get that same sense really uh playing that and i'm sure it's very 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 different from place to place i almost feel like there needs to be some sort of you know, this is like a very idealistic, like academic way of thinking about it. And it's going to come off as impractical, like the way I present this or the way that you would present this. But like, I almost feel like there needs to be a better, like coaches need to be given resources to give them a better idea of how to foster an actually inclusive 
community on their team. You know what I mean? Like if you sign up to be a little league coach, you're just a little league coach and that's it. All you have to do is show up on the day that you draft teams and get the uniforms and hand them out. Like there is no one. And that's where I think MLB could step in or whoever could step in um, to send people to little leagues to just even to give like an hour long or a week long training session on what it means to include kids of color or girls on your team um, and how that might affect your job as a coach. I feel like that would do something. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe I'm wrong. And maybe it would just be throwing money at the problem or throwing political correctness at the problem. (laughs) But it's better than doing nothing because clearly doing nothing is leading to things like this, is leading to girls getting beamed in practice. Yeah. There's obviously no easy solution, but the... I don't know. The thing about travel baseball is that like really what good is it that you're, what good is it doing your 12 year old to like place them at a slightly higher level? Oh, like, oh, your 12 year old like really needed that. I mean, by the time that you're actually, I think getting somewhere or like, you know, by the time you hit 14 or 15, you're in high school and you're going to go play for your high school team anyway, because that's how you get noticed and you actually have real uh, coaching. So and there's a small window in there, right? When you're like 11 or 12 to 14 or 15, where like travel ball is everything. And it's like, does it really have to be? Yeah, um, I do think it's taken, it takes itself too seriously. But I sort of got some value out of just knowing what it meant to take baseball seriously. You know what I mean? And I do think like often we overstep that and baseball always takes itself too seriously. But just to take my personal game seriously to know that like I'm not pitching to a bunch of kids who just signed up just just play because they didn't like they didn't have anything to do on the weekends and so I need to be better and be more focused uh batter to batter you know what I mean so I think it made me a better baseball player because of it but at the same time like it's bullshit that like I could play travel and could get that opportunity to have a, a better competition when someone else couldn't I don't know we we have long kind of thrown around the idea of doing a whole episode dedicated to Little League, and I think we should still do that down the road when Little League season is in full swing. Um, and we should talk to be, someone from the because, football Because, yeah, we, we should actually do some in-depth research on this and some interview. We're just – this is the podcast where we tell everyone our ideas so that they can go and do them themselves. <laughs> um, hopefully give us credit afterwards. Yeah, this is obviously just an off-the-cuff conversation, and we don't profess to have – any of the answers, but it, it certainly goes a lot deeper than Rob Manfred just being like, well, girls can play too. And then it's like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and then every little league dad across the country is like, okay, Cindy, you're on the team now, you know? Yeah. I don't think any little, I mean, I'm sure a lot of little league dads do that, but I don't think the majority of little league dads are doing that. No. These are interesting questions. Yeah. We should talk, we should think more about this. We should research more about this, but I think clearly the way that it manifests itself in national media at the professional level are the same bad inner tendencies that these coaches are going back to in order for them to make a terrible, unacceptable, unbelievably stupid decision to tell 11-year-old boys on their team to do something awful to the 11-year-old girl on their team. I think those these same demons that baseball is grappling with when... It's um, a 60-something-year-old white guy yelling at Javi Baez for showing emotion. I think those same demons are manifesting themselves at the lower level. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we wonder why the game's viewership is old white men, right? And it's like, 
Maybe it's because the girls all got thrown at when they were in Little League, right? Maybe it's because they see stories like this and it's like, why would I want to watch this sport? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, so those are heavy ideas. Yeah. But um, just food for thought, man. If you have anything, you, the listener, have anything you want to share with us, stories or ideas, please send them to us because yeah. we we know very little. Yeah. Now that we've rambled on about this for. <laughs> 40 minutes or whatever um we're gonna take a little break and when we come back we're gonna uh just chat a bit about our favorite teams all the california california coming home i'm gonna see the folks i dig i'll even kiss a sunset peak california i'm coming home The Mets are 12 and 4. They lost today and yesterday and Saturday. I went Monday and Saturday. They lost both times in depressing fashion. But they're 12 and 4. They're in first. And I still feel anxious every second of every day being a Mets fan. Can you tell me why? (laughs) It's because it's the Mets. Yeah. That loss on Monday night. It really pulled on some bad memories that I feel like I've buried deep down. A Colorado Rockies loss in 2015. Some losses way back at Shea Stadium. Uh, the last game I ever went to uh, at Shea Stadium. It wasn't the final game at Shea, but it was in that last season. And David Wright hit two home runs, and they were up like 8-1, and the bullpen blew it. And honestly, I was feeling a lot of the same things on Monday night. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me why anything can't ever be good? Yeah, nothing can be. <laughs> he says, as the Mets are 12 and 4. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's rough, man. I, you know, everybody has those days. I'm not here to whine about the Mets. I'm here to talk glowingly about the Mets, but I just need to get it out into the open that I just don't trust myself when I start to feel good about something. I know. It's one of those things where it's like an imposter syndrome sort of thing where it's like, this is, the rug's going to be pulled out from under us at any second, and yeah. it's going to be, and the Mets are going to win, are going to lose the next thirty straight, and <laughs> and they're going to be, you know, twelve and thirty-three or whatever. <laughs> so Deco- Anthony Decomo, after the game, he does like a is that friend of the pod, Anthony yeah. Decomo, friend of the pod, first guest of the pod, Anthony Decomo. After every Mets game, since he's the MLB.com beat reporter for them, um, he tweets like highlight of the game, whatever MVP of the game. And then he tweets like their 162 game projection record based off what they are now. And he tweets some emojis to go along <laughs> yeah, with Yeah, exactly. And so um, he was, the, the 162 game pace was like 130 and 32 or something like that, which is <laughs> obviously ridiculous. But he tweeted that. And the first reply, the first reply was 162 game pace, 12 and 150. <laughs> <laughs> peak Mets Twitter for you. It's literally, those are the only two tweets you ever need to see to know what it's like to be in Mets Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. After that blow up, I was seeing tweets where people were like, this wasn't even just a bad night. This was a meltdown of epic proportions. It was pretty bad. It it was bad. I'm not going to lie. I was there. It was bad. Oh yeah, of course. But every bullpen has a meltdown and, and Mets Twitter is like, well, this is it. They're, they're never winning again. Just, just shutter the team. (laughs) Sell the team. Uh, (laughs) The uh, the people sitting in front of us, it was two, like, I don't know, 20-something, college-age kids, and they were, like, decked out, and you could tell they were really hyped. The Mets were winning. 
you know, they were wearing like orange and blue tie-dye socks and pants and everything. And uh, as the bullpen started to blow the game, as soon as they gave up the lead, well, they let them tie it and they sat through it. And they were the guy on the right was just groaning. There were, it was two guys sitting right below us. And the guy on the right was just groaning the whole time. He was just making noises. They weren't talking to each other. <laughs> and I was like, I relate to this on a spiritual level. And uh, so they let them they let them come back and tie it in the top of the eighth. And then they actually went ahead and as soon as they went ahead uh the guy the guy on the right just stands up and goes <laughs> he turns to his friend and he goes i'm leaving fuck this i'm leaving <laughs> and his friend goes no 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 come on man and he tries to grab his sweatshirt and the guy goes i'm tired i got a class in the morning it's fucking <laughs> cold and fuck this team fuck this bullpen and i'm like i'm sorry for the language but i felt like i had to be true to this moment <laughs> he just turned to his friend he's like i'm tired i have class in the morning and i'm freezing my ass off Mood. and i'm not doing it for this team right now <laughs> and i was like yeah no wonder people take to twitter because that was a real life reaction you know everybody's twitter reactions are always you know like 10 times that yeah the worst part about the Twitter reactions is that, like, you're typing it out. You're seeing yourself type it out, and you make the conscious decision to hit tweet on that. Like, yeah. it's one thing to be, like, to just, like, oh, you just need to let it all out and get frustrated and, like, yell in the air. Like, we've all been there before. But you're, like, sitting there typing, being, like, this team will never win again. Send tweet. <laughs> oh, man. This is good podcasting material. We're just... We are typing out other people's tweets. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, though, I still feel okay about this team. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to stick I by would, it. I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> they've been fine. Yeah, they've been good. They've been better than fine. Yeah. Um, the series against the Nationals has not been great, but whatever. It's fine. We're doing okay. I'm doing okay emotionally. How are you feeling about the A's? Matt Chapman, really good. Leading the league in war. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say that. Um, yeah, Matt Chapman's really good. The A's are doing fine. Uh, this is basically going to be my update every week, is that the A's are hanging in there, man. I mean, they killed the White Sox last night, and that was fun. It's really a question of their pitching again, because their hitting, their offense has been one of the best in the league. They have, like, a top-five offense right now. Yeah. And they have a bottom-five pitching staff. My favorite thing is to watch national broadcast, no, not even national broadcast, but to watch national media members. Or, like, I was watching PTI today, and... um Michael Wilbon's big point about when the Otani ticker came up for them to talk about, his big point was, I'm with everybody on the hype so far, but I'd like to see him do it against the Red Sox. You know, he's he's pitched against the A's twice. He's pitched against that team twice. As if they're like, and he was very much insinuating, like read between the lines, like they are terrible. Yeah. And uh, their offense is not terrible. So it's just a very uninformed take. It's like, it's not even a hot take. It's just a misinformed take. Yep, pretty much. Yeah, it's like you just didn't bother to do the research yeah, before <laughs> before this segment. You have ESPN. The research the research team of ESPN is behind you, and you chose not to even ask them how good the A's offense is. Yeah. You just chose to assume that the A's are bad, and the Red Sox are good. Yeah, no, that's like... When the, in reality, the A's offense is better than the Red's offense. That's like being Red co- Sox coming into 2017 and being like, Psh, I mean, it's the Astros, y'all. Let's temper our expectations a little. <laughs> yeah are you uh, sad that you haven't seen them in person yet yeah but i will in a few weeks they're gonna be at yankee stadium really the, the week before graduation that's my graduation gift to myself nice. is going to see them play 
That's fun. So I'm excited for that. And uh, I almost impulse bought a Matt Chapman jersey last night, but I (laughs) (laughs) don't have a lot of money in the bank account. So I I put hold on that one. I literally got, I don't know why my sister gave me money, but it was for some holiday or something like that, or for finishing the year, whatever it was for last summer. My sister just gave me money because she's an adult and she knows that I'm probably struggling. And I immediately spent most of it on a Mookie Wilson 1986 Mets jersey. So I'm with you there, man. It's tough. You know, it's really, it's been nice. Like, we traded Josh Donaldson, and he was so much fun to watch play third base. And I was like, well, crap. Now our third baseman's, uh, I don't know, Alberto Cayaspo or something? (laughs) But that did not last long, thankfully. (laughs) That was an all-time random name of the podcast. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Like, he was an A for a hot sec. Um, but you know, we got the boy Matt Chapman and it's nice to know that the ball is hit anywhere in the vicinity of third base and it's like a vacuum. He's literally Scott Rowland. <laughs> he is. <laughs> I hate to be like, he's literally one of the best top five third basemen of all time defensively and this year apparently offensively, but he is. I mean, like if his he, numbers compare. Yeah. If he hits, he's Adrian Beltre, <laughs> honestly. So yeah, I'm stoked. It's, right. It'll be fun. Do we need to do a Tebow update? Let's do it very briefly. It's been a long one. He he cracked the Mendoza line, y'all. <laughs> Seven games in, and he's hitting exactly 200. Do you think I should make some music for the Tebow hour? The Tebow power hour? Uh, sure. Yeah? Let's let's record a song together. I'm in. Yeah. If anyone's listening this late, I hope someone holds us accountable to that. <laughs> There's no way we actually do this. Let's be real. All right. Well, anything else to add before we sign off? I don't think so. Although Shohei Otani has already given up three runs, so... The results are in, folks. He's bad. This is it. This just in. Michael Wilbon was right. He didn't prove himself against the Red Sox. That's <laughs> yeah, true. He can only pitch against the A's. We know we sort of talked your ears off with some hashtag heavy content, but uh, sometimes baseball demands it. And uh, if you have thoughts about that, if you have some personal experience to lend to the conversation, we would be very welcome to hearing about that. But if not, just let us know what you thought of the episode of the conversation. Or if you just want to tell us, if you just want to tell us your justification for sending a the Mets are never going to win ever again tweet, then you can do that too. Uh, it's tippingpitchespod at gmail.com. We'll be more than happy to read what went into your thought process. Yeah. You know, we don't get much fan mail, so and it kind of makes me sad. So please send us something. Even if, you just, even if you're telling us you don't like the podcast, that's fine. At least you listen, right? <laughs> Let us know. Don't tell uh, us that. Rate us and review us on iTunes. Yeah, please. Five stars. Yeah. Even if you hate us, just like rate us five stars for even going through this for yeah, you. Give us a hate listen and then a five star. <laughs> Um, All right, that's all we got for this week, and we'll be back with you next week. Probably at our fifth location in five weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, y'all. First of all, it's the only result for Mike Trout Batflip. The the other result is is a combined gif of him and Cole Calhoun, and Cole Calhoun does a total Batflip, and Mike Trout drops it. I'm like, he literally just puts it down. It's not a bad foot. He's like...
His, if it's a bat flip in the sense that his hand opens. Yeah, it flips towards the ground. <laughs> <laughs>